Boomer in the Morning is on right now. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. Boomer in the Morning brought to you by Sundry Golf Club. Book your tee time at sundrygolf.com. You can check out the stay and play packages that are up now, starting at $189 per person based on double occupancy. Get out of town, play some golf, stay over, get the whole thing. Let's go. Sundrygolf.com. Hour two of the program. Frank Saravelli, our NHL insider. He is up in Edmonton, was here for games one and two. Edmonton for three and four. Obviously, game four tonight at 7.30. As Stephen Brunt joins us, uh, Funny how sports, you know, is, is sports, eh? You get into these mm. things and you realize sometimes why why you love them and why they tear you up and that you hate them sometimes and all of that. And certainly when you get a rivalry like this, uh, the wins feel great. The losses just crush you. And and having to live amongst uh, the other fan base, uh, is it's very hard. It's very hard for, uh, for fans when it goes this way. Ga- after game one, life was great. After game three, not so much. Not so much. Now, weird how that goes. Weird how that goes, yeah. but it's. I guess the the, the greats, and I can do this because from a distance, this you, you, this is where you step back and say, "But yes, but this is great. Like this is what, this is why we care about this stuff. This is. It's not just the the the, the game and the, the the sticks and the pucks and or any other sport. The, the the kind of the mechanics of it. It's because you feel stuff, and sometimes you feel great. And you know, a few times in your lifetime, you feel great at the after the last game of the year. Yeah. And you say, "Boy, wasn't that something?" I'll get to tell the grandkids about that. And a whole bunch of other times, you feel a mixture of that and kind of depression slash agony. And you would wonder why why would you ever put yourself through it? But you do because this yeah, this it's it's a it is a a powerful thing. This uh, spectacle, you know, why it is, it, you know, it's, I've been trying to figure that out for a long, long time. But man, it 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 always works, and you guys are right in the center of it right now. Uh, and how, however tough it can be after a game like the last one, for instance, um, you you should be still kind of reveling in it. But that's easy for me to say because I'm not I'm not living and dying right now. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to hear anything about that. Was, I know Brunt doesn't know what he's talking. Yeah, so yeah, you, you. But I mean, you're aware of it that you are a long ways away. Oh, but it is. Uh, it is hard right now because there's you go through the checklist. All right, game four, got to win, come back home, get the home ice back, all that. All right, what do you do? Uh, well, let's get some more saves from the goalie. Yep, yep. Get on the four check, turnovers. Yep, yep. Test Mike Smith, not that good. Make him pay. Yep, yep. Uh, okay, looks good. Everything's good. Oh, McDavid. Right. There's that. <laughs> he oh, is and uh, look, he is at an another level and everybody anywhere you go right now on the internet, you go to any sports I'm like, Connor McDavid, Connor McDavid. He is, he's controlling the series, and if, whether he's in, he's in the Flames' head. I don't care if he's in their heads or not. He's whenever he's on the ice, he's controlling just about everything. You can't body him off the puck. You can't take away his passing lanes. You can't stop him. It feels, it, it feels extremely daunting from a fan perspective, from an observer perspective. What do you do when there's really very little? It feels like you can do. Yeah. Well, um, let me see, because this, you know, we're at a point and there's still a long way to go here in this series and beyond this series. But what we are watching, you know, since it kind of kicked in for him in the first round is uh, like the the short list. Think of the short list of individual players in this sport who have carried teams 
you know, maybe to a Stanley Cup, but through a round or two rounds or three rounds, it it doesn't happen very often. It, it there's been a lot of great players. We can name all the great players, and you can name all the great teams and teams that have won Stanley Cups and been on great playoff runs. It's you know sometimes you know often you could talk about a goaltender, you know Patrick Waugh or you know even Jordan Bennington for St. Louis a couple of years back or. Like that's pretty standard, right? A goalie gets hot and and they they can become the kind of foundation piece for a team that that goes on a playoff run. But for a forward to do it, or anybody, any skater to do it, man, like very rare. Uh, guys have great scoring playoffs, and you say, and maybe win a Con Smythe. But this is the this, right now, and it's not over. But this is a different thing. And this, you know, this, you think of like a guy like Mario. Like more, even more than Gretzky. Like Gretzky, obviously had some amazing playoff runs, and on, on an amazing team. And there were times when he felt unstoppable. But this guy, I, I think the, the the thing I keep coming back to is the kind of the the absolute best of Mario Lemieux, and how he could physically dominate mm-hmm. hockey games, and plus also had that crazy skill set. And any time he was on the ice, it just felt like people were falling away from him because they couldn't as they tried to do something, you know, the, the kind of the Superman act. And that's, that's kind of what we're seeing right now. He shrugged off Nikita Zadorov the other night. Yeah. He's six six two twenty. This is a big man. And he just held him off and kicked the skate, uh, you know, puck, skate, stick, pass, goal. Oh, okay. Well, there's, I guess there's that. He is, he has all of the tools and I don't need to sit here on Calgary radio and gush anymore about this guy, but I feel like if all things equal, Flames fans probably, yeah, get to Mike Smith. Don't give up as many scoring chances. Your goalie's still good, even though people are crapping on him right now. He's still up for the Vesna. Uh, just grab a hold of this thing. But there is that X factor. It makes things a little bit difficult. But you go back to that L.A. series, and somehow the guy was held off the score sheet, and they actually won some games. It's, you, you get, yeah. you just, it's the joy of the, of the playoffs. It's the joy and the pain. You live every game. And only that game until the next game starts. It's such a short window that you that you recall and that you remember. To win a game in six or seven, you have to lose some games, right? That's mm-hmm. how that goes. And then when you lose those games, I'm not, I'm not sure we can win this year. I don't know how this is going to go. Yeah, like the Leafs lost in seven. They had to win three to lose in seven. That's right. right. Yeah. They did have there to win. Go. Yeah, that's right. That's what was the best uh, local regional rivalry or hottest uh, back and forth that you covered in sport? Is there one that come to mind? You're like, ooh, that was something Ooh. special? Um. In hockey or otherwise, well, just like other. Just I mean, general. anything. Yeah, it. Yeah, I. You know, the hockey like Montreal Boston was always the best was the best hockey rivalry I ever covered. To be honest, mm-hmm. because you know the, when they were both good and the, the cities are close enough and the fans traveled like way more than Montreal Toronto Toronto Montreal Toronto was ancient ancient history, but Montreal Boston had an edge to it. When and when the Bruins fans showed up in Montreal on a for a, for a playoff game, um, you knew they were there. You kind of it was like the town was being invaded, and it had an edge to it. That that's the best that's the best one I've experienced up close in hockey, where I was right in the middle of it. Because um, the Western ones, I just I generally didn't cover those series. Right. So, um, I, you know, I, I could watch it from afar, but the that that one had some, you know, that one that one had some juice. Uh, yeah, there's been some good baseball stuff short term with the you know the, the in, in the middle of that obviously that that kind of epic Jays Texas series, the mm-hmm. the bat flip series that had a charge to it uh and you know as a kid growing up it was all the toronto hamilton stuff but that again is ancient history that's long 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 gone because you know one city kind of became a subset of the other city and you know you have to be separate 
right for it to, for it to really work now you know in soccer i've seen it i've 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 seen those derbies i've been at the, some of those derby games overseas and uh that has a bit of a crackle to it if you know you're going to watch spurs play arsenal or or, or something along those lines there's yeah that's that's kind of in the blood and you know maybe this i think this one that you guys are watching now it's kind of in the blood so what is uh What's going on with the CFL? I thought it was yeah. Uh, didn't we have a deal there? Uh, in the clear here, but something happened uh, yesterday slash last night. Now things are off. Yeah, this is a I I I, I seek a fuller explanation, but um, falling back on the guys who are covering this. Uh, yes, that so the as as everyone knows, the Canadian Football League Players Association and the league agreed on a collective new collective agreement for that was going to extend seven years and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it seemed an averted, they had a very short strike that didn't disrupt much of anything. And the teams are back in camp and the preseason supposed to start this week and just waiting on the formality, the rubber stamp that is the player vote. And I, I was trying to think about this last night. I, I don't know that this has ever happened in professional sport. Where where the players said, uh, you know, that deal you guys negotiated for us, we don't like it enough that we're going to vote it down. So this may be, you know, yet another yet another first for the CFL. They may be pioneers in this. But <laughs> the players – now, this question of how many players on each team, everybody gets yeah. – well, not everybody gets a vote. The first-year guys coming to camp who um, don't get a vote, which, you know, is kind of understandable. They're not really part of the league yet. But – there's a question of how many of the veteran players bothered to vote, and uh, you know. Then the question is, well, what didn't they like? It's like it's not a great collective agreement, but from a player's point of view. But you know, most of these guys want to work, and they're not, you know, they they want to play, and careers are short, and that's. They, I think they all kind of held. Mostly, you thought they would just hold their noses and sign this deal. And there's some, there's some, there's some stuff in there for them, and it's better than not playing. And given the last two years, it's better than what they've gone through. But what it would appear is that the Canadian players in the league, you know, who um, you know, benefit very greatly from the ratio, the player ratio that's that's part of this deal, don't like the tweaks to it that we're going to, you know, really you're going to lose one Canadian starter of the who will turn into a naturalized American starter, an American who's been in the league for X number of years with the same team for X number of years. So it kind of shaves down the ratio. And it would appear that the Canadian players in the league are the ones that don't like this and that they voted it down, which leaves their negotiating committee in limbo, their union in limbo. It's going to kill the union eventually. That's that's what this is going to do. Um, but they're going to go back to the league and say, uh, you know, that deal we just struck, we, we want to make some changes. And, you know, the league's posture can be, no, um, we're not. And we are not going to negotiate, so you guys better choose whether you're going to stay in camp or not. They could lock the players out if they wanted to really get tough here. Uh, the players could strike again. But imagine trying to lead a fractured union out on strike in the middle of training camp. Good luck with that. So I, I, my guess is that the league will just sit back and let the players you know, devour themselves <laughs> and uh, let, the, let the union fragment and then come back to the table and say, no, no, we, this is the deal. Um, but it's yeah, it's it's a strange one. I think that's what it comes down to, from what I've been reading. And like I, you know, I look, I understand people who want to protect the ratio and protect the Canadian content in the league. I think it's you know, from a business point of view, it doesn't make much difference. But you know, maybe from another point of view, it does. 
but man, I just I don't see any way that the players are going to come back and get anything better um, because they've you've, you know you've, you've essentially undermined your own negotiating committee at this stage, and that you know that's not just a sports thing in any in any circumstance. It's you know once you do that, what what can they do? How can they go back to the table? Owners might ask for more now. <laughs> really, like they, well, it's a sign of weakness, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, no, it absolutely is, Ryan. Like they, yeah, they if they want to turn the screws here, if they really wanted to turn the screws. You know, they I say they can just sit back and say no. Um, they could lock out, and remember, all these guys they they had that pledge to the players that if they showed up, even if there wasn't a, a new agreement, that they would house and feed them. Uh, even if even if there was a strike, they were going to house and feed them. So these guys have shown up, you know, driven across the border, a lot of them coming up here to play for no money. Uh, you know, and they literally get no money through training camp except for you know, their their meals. The, there's no salary until the actual regular season. You have to make the team. You don't get paid for preseason games. And you know, what if you just said, uh, "You guys got to you know those dormitory rooms. You got to check out tomorrow because we're locking you out." And you know, that meal money that's gone. Like they they could play really really nasty here if they if they chose to. I don't think they'll do that because I don't think they need to. But. Yeah, the, the the players' association's in a terrible spot, and uh, I don't think I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think anybody saw this coming. I don't think any of the the insiders who covered the league anticipated this. So yeah, big surprise yesterday. Stephen Brutt is our guest here on only Sports the CFL. I, well, it's I know. like first time stories, yeah. like you said. It's just it's remarkable. It, it really is. Uh, it's quite something. The, the, this league is, is. There's nothing else on earth like it. it really isn't. You, nope. You just wonder where that communication nope. breakdown occurs. Is it because you would think before you agree to a, a CBA, you would have the support. Guys, we're good. Vote. Yes, we like it. Good. Okay, done. You think you'd trust the people that you have negotiating for you. Otherwise, they wouldn't be negotiating well, you, for you. Well, you kind of have to. And, and you know, what the process, the, you know, the way this normally works is that, you know, each team has a rep, and the rep would go and address the guys. And you know, look, a lot of athletes, not just you know, CFL players, a lot of athletes are really kind of passive about this stuff. They just sit back and let the other guys do the work and, um, you know, grouse about it occasionally. And, you know, some are, you know, have the odd guys who are more engaged and maybe more militant about it. But, you know, the normal thing is, yeah, the deal is negotiated. You're, the guys you, you've empowered to negotiate for, you have done the deal. They come back and say, look, we did the best we can. They explain it to you. Uh, and then there's a vote. And, you know, normally, as I say, it's a rubber stamp because – how would you, you know, like, how are you going to get a groundswell of opposition in those circumstances? But somehow they did, and <laughs> I, I, I have no explanation uh, aside from the one, the one I just attempted to give, which is probably not is at least incomplete. But where, like, there was, look, there were some guys on social media, some players who said the deal wasn't that great, but you know, to overturn, like, to 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 overturn the decision of your negotiating committee. That usually requires leadership too, right? You would think somebody would have to stand up on a soapbox and say, "We're not going to take this crap," and you know these guys have sold us down the river or something along those lines. None of that. So, you know, again, the question would be, how many guys voted? That's the other because you know a, a vocal minority could, if you know, if other guys didn't bother, I guess a vocal minority could could uh, could carry the day. Well, I was looking online and uh, your buddy Dave Naylor there with TSN, yep. he retweets Simone Lawrence. It's like 30% of the guys didn't even vote 
So that would swing. Mm, that potentially could swing a vote one way or the other. You know, if guys actually yeah. decided to vote. Oh, well, and it's such a weird. You know, again, we know it's a weird league, right? And God, with and I say that with some affection, but you, you know, the two different sets of players in this league—the Canadians and especially the Canadian veterans and the Americans—like they have two different, completely different sets of interests here. You know, like the Canadian guys want that ratio because it guarantees work. It it uh, creates scarcity, artificial scarcity. So their salaries, they get better paid than generally than the Americans do in the league. Um, and the American guys, are kind of, they come and they go. Um, you know, the naturalized Canadian thing that they brought in, that'll help them because it'll allow them, some of them, to get paid a little bit more and stick around a little bit longer and have more job security. But essentially these guys are, you know, they're, they're, they're mercenaries. They, they come and go and they're hanging onto their football careers by their fingernails. And so they just want they just want a chance. And if you look at some of the other situations in which guys play quote professionally unquote, you know, that it's guys will play for nothing, you know, or next to nothing for the chance that someday they'll end up in the National Football League essentially. So you know what what would the, what would their interest be in this deal? You know, be, they they don't care about the ratio. <laughs> They'd like the ratio to go away. You know, they, they they don't want any jobs for guaranteed for guys be, guys because of their passports. They they want it wide open. They 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 want their shot at that roster spot. Well, let's uh, jump to Blue Jays. Yesterday, seven uh, three final looks uh, ooh, lopsided. Yeah. Well, I, no. yeah. <laughs> now, granted, they muster four hits against St. Louis in uh, in St. Louis, great baseball town, but a. Uh, a walk-off grand slam that will uh, change the. It's going to light up the scoreboard a little bit. Yeah, I like. I look. It's you, you can you can go back to okay. How did we end up with Ryan Baraki pitching a Paul Goldschmidt in that situation? That's not optimal, right? From a Blue Jay mm. point of view, to say the least. Uh, and you know, maybe there's another way that the the extra innings could have played out in terms of the pitching, although. Um, I'm not going to hang this one on on Baraki because he is what he is, and I'm not going to hang it on Charlie Montoya or Pete Walker because I think they're dealing from a pretty they've, they've been had a pretty difficult hand to play here lately. It's it's all about the offense or the lack thereof. I was at the game on Sunday as well. Um, it's hard to watch right now, and it, it kind of defies logic that you know if you look at you know take your pick here, but you know essentially. You know how many how many guys are having even reasonable offensive years on this team? Well, George Springer is, you know, and Bobichet's shown some life lately. Espinal, that's about it. Santiago Espinal is now your number yeah. two hitter because Yuck. he's been the best hitter on the team. But you know, Teoscar Hernandez is a guy who's won a you know, silver slugger. He's he, he's not a bad offensive player, and I know he was out, but the sample size since he came back is pretty significant right now, and, and he's he's just nowhere. Uh, Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is turned into a singles hitter. He's whacking the ball into the ground like he did the first, right when he first came to the major leagues. Uh, not hitting line drives. What's that? That can't continue. You wouldn't think. Um, you know, Matt Chapman is. You know, again, at least he plays playing lights out at third base, and he can still take a walk. But you know, what looked like on paper a really good offensive lineup, and still kind of logically has to become. A good offensive lineup has been terrible so the pitching's been really really good you know and the starting pitching has been extraordinarily good and Brios was in every way good enough to you know that, that was he gave them a really good start last night mm -hmm. and you know even on Sunday Kikuchi was messed up at the beginning got out of that jam and then he pitched pretty well and everybody else has been you know they get Gossman going tonight one of the you know arguably the best pitcher in the American League this year best starter so it's not about pitching 
that's been that's what's kept their heads above water. And I, 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 I don't think anybody, if they had an explanation, you know, they, they, you can't even go and say, boy, if they'd only kept Marcus Simeon, because like Marcus Simeon's been worse in Texas than any of these guys. He still hasn't hit a home run. Jeez. Uh, so how how can that be possible? Um, and it's you know this the the dead ball and uh, I, don't, I don't you know Aaron Judge doesn't seem to be worried about the dead ball so I I don't know I I I feel for the guys I feel for Charlie Montoya and his staff the pressure is going to start mounting on them though there's nothing you can't make guys hit you can you know reshuffle the deck and there's not like there's a bunch of other guys they can throw in there and say you you do it uh, I you know I think they've done a really nice job handling the pitching staff and you know handling the uh, um the you know the rotation but um yeah i, I just I, I i can't i have no explanation for it it's it's bizarre and but it's awful to watch you know all of those runners in scoring position all mm-hmm. those situations you say boy one hit here the game breaks open everybody takes a deep breath and then they probably maybe then they start rolling and it just it has not happened. It feels it's got to be a tense clubhouse right now. And they're in a wild card spot and two games over five hundred. Yep. And this is as bad as it gets. It's going to be a good year in a weird way, right? It's just well, hard to that, watch as it happens. No, and that's a good point. You know, like taking that it, because if you look at the con- number of contending teams in the American League right now and the number of wild card spots, you know what? There's six wild card spots and seven teams competing for them. It's that's kind of the way it's going to be. So yeah, they, they're right now they're still a playoff team and you'd think it has to get better. (laughs) Like, Vladdy can't keep looking like this, and uh, Teoscar Hernandez can't keep looking like this, and they've got to at least be... You know, if they were an average offensive team right now with with that pitching, they'd be right there with the Yankees. They would be... Because they've, you know... Yeah, that... that, And and they're playing reasonable defense, something we talked about in the past with these guys. They're... Like, two-thirds of the game's pretty good, but it is... um, they, 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 they just cannot do anything offensively right now. Have a good week, Stephen. Appreciate you as always. We'll catch up again on Friday. Right. Have a good one. All right. Enjoy enjoy tonight. Remember, oh. remember enjoy it. Deep breaths. Enjoy right. it. Yeah. This is what you live for. Enjoy McDavid surgically removing your organs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. See you, boys. There's Stephen Brunt. Uh, we'll come back. Our NHL insider is Frank Saravalli. He's a Philly guy. He's in Edmonton covering the Battle of Alberta. We'll get into it when we come back. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Boomer in the Morning with Ryan Pinder on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. A pivotal game four in the Battle of Alberta tonight up in Edmonton. Oilers lead the series two games to one. 7.30 start time. We've got it for you here on your home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Game day. Get your helmet on. Big one. Everyone's got to show up tonight. You, me, them, you, and you, and and be better. Even that guy over there. Hey, you. Be, Dumas, be better. Tonight. I'll be, I'll be better, Boom. I'll be better. Some shoddy D on your behalf there, Dumas. Tighten up. Dude, you can't let McDavid wheel around you like that. I'm so sorry. The Yager jersey outside. Are those that? new skates? Why are you falling over so much? <laughs> you sharp? You got to sharpen them out of the box. I call that chilly. Our NHL insider is up in Edmonton. This segment brought to you by South Trail Exports with inventory shortages across the city. 
It's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Frank Saravalli. Now, see, usually Philly guy. Eastern time zone, he gets the... How's the 7.30 uh, mountain time feeling when you're in the mountain time zone? Oh, yeah. That's uh, one thing I've learned, guys. Mountain time is the best time zone to watch sports. Thank you. Yes, it's unbelievable. You never have any stupid 4 o'clock starts because people are still, you know, doing work and things. Five's perfect to get things going, and you're never really up past midnight much. It's beautiful. It's outstanding to be in bed last night, I think, before 11.30. Abs game already finished. I mean, what's better than that? Yeah, I guess as I mean, a guy. out of the bar maybe, but <laughs> I guess maybe not after well, well, hey, I didn't say I wasn't there. I, I just <laughs> said, I, yeah. I guess for a guy that does, because you got to watch, you kind of got to watch the games, or at least give the impression that you watch the games. Yeah, you're you're up till the to all hours of the night, Frank. I never really appreciated that about. It. Thank you for all that you do. Then, <laughs> thank you. I, I actually haven't really missed many games in the playoffs at all. I, I think that was one of the beauties of being home at the first in the first round. I feel like there's so much happening. You know, you can flip back and forth between every game, and now being out here, wouldn't miss the Battle of Alberta though. So walk us through it. You were in Edmonton. We'll get to that in a moment. You were at games one and two here in Calgary. And then game three, we have seen a lot in a very short amount of time. We've seen one team look like they are going to dominate. We've seen the other team look like they're going to dominate. Might get blown out. Might sweep. It's been, it's been a crazy kind of a series. And the goals have been far more plentiful, certainly, going into the Calgary net than we would have expected. I guess give us a take, if you can, through three games on what you've seen. Well, I think, you know, you look at game one and as wild and crazy as it was and as much as the Flames had dominated, they weren't really able to leave that game with any sort of good feelings about their game based on the leads that they blew. You know, two separate four-goal leads, they they should have, you know, locked that down way earlier than they did in the third period. And then game two, off to the exact start they want and – are just simply not able to contain Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Evander Kane. Like really to me, and this, this game is so incredibly important. And I think everyone knows that the Oilers are going to get the flames best punch in this game on Tuesday night. But you know, until there's an answer for that top line from Edmonton, that's really what has flipped the series for me. 55 combined points from those guys in 10 playoff games. They've been otherworldly, and, and it's been odd to see. It certainly was here in, in this this building up at Rogers Place in Edmonton in Game 3 to see the Flames off their game. Like, they've been so diligent all season long in, in their approach, their, their style of attack, and to think that they sat back a bit, you know, almost out of deference to McDavid, that's what it looked like to me. Their forecheck wasn't anywhere near what we had expected it to be. And I don't know the reason for that. I'd expect a significant change in game four tonight to, to have them really try and I guess dumb it down to, to really try and lock it down and not give up any time or space. Yeah. There's no question that the, the, the Oilers are, they're very happy with, with how they've been playing. Certainly in game three, I, I almost take game three in a little bit like game one. It was so, it was so wild and, uncharacteristic of both well certainly of the flame side game one maybe of both sides and i almost kind of chalk that one up to being one of those nights flames were not good oilers were very good 
advantage Oilers, they take the game. I'm, I'm a little surprised, like you said. The, we have not seen much in the way of physicality from the Flames, that kind of bullying mentality. Since that game one. They're going to be happy to go out and rough you up and, and make you pay. We haven't seen that. There hasn't been the intimidation. And you mentioned the forecheck. Why has it been so hard? in your viewings, for the Flames to really get in and make life difficult on those Oiler D because uh, that's that's kind of a, a soft spot. It's a weakness for the Oilers is that defense. To be honest, I don't have an answer. I, I wondered if part of it was their approach. Like, was that what they wanted to do was to try and, you know, play a little bit more soft in the Oilers' end to, to sit back a little bit. It almost looked like they were doing a little bit of a, one, two, two, um, you know, in terms of how they were trying to set up. And it, it's just so unlike them in the sense that they're usually rambunctious. They set the pace, they set the tone, the style of the game. And for the Oilers to dictate it, it's not even in their nature, really. Like they, uh, they've spent so many games, even in these playoffs, seven out of the first nine poor starts, waiting their way into games. And they almost took it over right from puck drop. So when you're now sizing up the entire series and you started to do a little bit of it, when you, when you look at game one, um, you know, and then two and three and you go, well, well, who has the edge here? To me, it's, it's not the two to one series edge. It's the edge of the Oilers and the, and really frankly, the flames not having an answer for what the Oilers top players have been able to do. How's it been traveling between these two markets uh, as a guy that grew up where you did and have covered the league from where you have? Uh, I imagine there was a lot of anticipation and, and you're living it. You're, you're halfway through in a series in theory. Yeah, it's been awesome. Uh, love from a personal perspective. Uh, uh, don't need to get on a plane to go between the two. Um, more than that, it's just been an absolutely frenzied environment in both buildings it seemed to cause a little bit of a kerfuffle on social media when I mentioned it, though. And, and I guess the Flames players, I think Rasmus Anderson touched on it, too. Um, it was louder in Edmonton in Game 3. It just was. I don't know if that's the nature of the building and um, you know, versus the Dome. I, I do feel like there were some moments in the Dome in Games 1 and 2 that, you know, for reasons, you know, gameplay, et cetera, when, when you've got two four-goal leads that you're blowing in Game 1, there's going to be some tense moments. So uh, interesting to see the environment. Um, you know, I will say for as raucous as it has been in Edmonton, though, um, the celebration after game three was a little bit interesting in that, you know, you look outside as you're doing the press conference here, the Oilers have their Hall of Fame room, and it, it's 20-foot-high glass windows that look out to the street. Fans are four deep in the middle of the press conference, and some guy is riding the Wayne Gretzky, you know, statue, the Stanley Cup, on top of it, like it's a bull, as if the Oilers had won anything. You know, they're up two to one in a series, and part of me was kind of like, "Don't you guys have five Stanley Cups here? Like, act like you've been there before." That was before HD. These people weren't alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, fair, but still, like, you know, the, half the crowd has to have been there. What is your take on Jacob Markstrom? Uh, I went through just this morning to look at all the goals that have come in from the series, and obviously there's, there's a lot of them. There's too many of them. How much of it is maybe there's a weakness that the Oilers have exploited, although in fairness there have been some that have gone in short side blocker, there was a high glove, low, they've gone in and <laughs> when you have that many, they go in in different forms. What are you seeing from Markstrom and how much of it is 
the lack of Tanev, the the pairings, there was a bad, awful line change in that game the other night as well. It just feels like it's as much the scoring opportunities that the Oilers are getting as it is Markstrom not making saves that he should be making. I lean more towards the breakdowns in front of him. I mean, at least in game three. Um, you know, the interesting thing is at a certain point, the numbers are what they are. When you've played 14 games against the, the Oilers as a member of the Flames and you have an 878 save percentage or whatever it is, it's ugly. And I, I sort of felt like, you know, well, first off, one in, in the first period of game three, that it would have been 7 nothing the score when Markstrom finally exited, you know, as opposed to four. That's that's the difference between the two teams and how great it was. Markstrom made some incredible saves in that first period, and I, I was thinking we might be getting that t- that sort of game where Markstrom really asserts himself and is able to, you know, steal a game for the Flames and and sort of boast that uh, Vezina quality that he's had really all season long against, frankly, every other team in the league. But the admission from Daryl Sutter and getting him out of there after after the second period, I thought was interesting in that I think he's kind of, you know, maybe saying without saying anything what a lot of us are thinking that maybe he just doesn't have it against this team. Maybe there's something about it that, you know, is just a block. And when you look at that, like that's it's an interesting thing to consider. Like at what point I've never been a big believer in splits for goalies. A lot of times coaches make decisions who starts what game based on a goalie's career numbers against a certain team. And I've always wondered, well, that might've been five years ago and he might've been playing for a different team. Why does that matter? But in in this case, it, it might be a real thing. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if there's a guy that could or would do it, it would be Daryl Sutter, but he's also a guy that loves number one goalies. But man, if you go to, if you go to a Vladar start, you, you've got a you've got a franchise goaltender that you've got next year and moving forward, and that's potentially that's a relationship that is that is uh, that is oh, he's very that damaged. Like, you know, on. you know, the other thing I thought was interesting too in that game the other night, and maybe it was a statement. Late power play, as uh, Nugent Hopkins goes, goes off with two whatever it was two seventeen left, and power play down by three, and you don't pull the goaltender for the extra attacker. Uh, any read on on why you wouldn't try and go with a two man advantage there to try and get to within a couple? So they had Kirk Muller do the media availability uh, yesterday in between games as opposed to Daryl Sutter, and he was actually asked about that and sort of gave a non answer. Was like, well, just happened to be the situation of the game, and I don't know. It felt like to me in that spot a little bit of waving the white flag, like. Look at what Smith had just gone through in that period, kind of clearly rattled, having to leave the game because of the concussion spotter, because he he sold the hit so well uh, that his helmet flew off. And you're in a spot where he comes back in and looks really bad on that, that goal against. The shutout bid had already ended when he left. And I was just thinking, you know, maybe you have the opportunity to do something insane, you know, something incredibly special and and not to say that it would have given the way the flames were going, but clearly they had dominated play in the third period as they were trying to get back into it. The Oilers had sat back a bit and to sort of not take advantage of that opportunity. I don't know what it said about the mindset of the team, you know, given that spot and chance to do it. 
is is that a normal circumstance that you saw unfold? With we've seen it this year with Daryl and and Kirk is I I believe an associate, not an assistant. But I mean that's Daryl's call, and someone else is being asked about the decision. That's kind of odd, isn't it? Well, I mean it's odd to me in the playoffs. Like I, I've covered I don't know how many series in my life a ton. Uh, I've never you know. Hardly ever, if I can remember, seeing the associate coach come out and speak between games. Maybe Daryl's just tired of answering questions from us. I can't blame him for that. It's been every day for a while. But, um, you know, in this case, you know, I, I just I was especially I'm always interested in the Daryl show. Like he's always got something to say and he's always if you read between the lines, you can always pick up on what he's really thinking or really feeling and, and kind of what he's trying to get across to his group, because some of it some of the messaging comes through from us essentially. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I was definitely a little bit surprised to see that. And also sort of the, you know, the lack of information or generalities that we got from Kirk Muller. In addition, it was sort of like, all right, I'm just going to talk until nothing's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Frank Saravelli, our NHL insider up in Edmonton, joining us here this morning on uh, the day of game four now the president's trophy winners are out the highest scoring team in the regular season scored three goals in four games what do we take out of the the battle of florida which kind of goes away with a whimper tampa bay sweeps and moves on to round three yeah what a non-event that whole series was huh i mean they were so excited you look at uh, well i was thinking of two dueling you know intense rivalries on opposite ends of the continent on every bananas. And whew, I, I mean, I, I walk away from that series and the first round and I go until otherwise noted with all due respect to the Colorado avalanche, the Tampa Bay lightning are the favorite to win. I'm shocked to wake up this morning and to see them not be the betting favorite to win. They're now going to get a week off as, the Hurricanes and Rangers, who I believe to be two inferior teams, battle it out and potentially have a deep series depending on what the Rangers can do in game four tonight. And, whew, I mean, where'd that, where'd that Florida offense go? You mentioned led the league in goals in the regular season. How about set a salary cap era record? Average, averaging more than four goals a game and they don't even score four in a four-game series. Part of it is they were actually really good in game four, and Andre Vasilevsky in the last seven clinching games had his sixth shutout. Vasilevsky's allowed four goals total in his last five games. He looked unbelievable, and, and frankly, that was the biggest fear for the Leafs going into game seven. Something clicked in that overtime of game six in the first round, and I was like, uh-oh. He looks like Andre Vasilevsky of the Conn Smythe variety. And, you know, to see him, you know, another shutout, 49 saves in game four, I mean, it was just, it's outrageous. He might be the best, most clutch performer in, in closeout games that I can remember. And he's just, he's next level. And that, that commitment to win from the Lightning team is really what stands out you know, more so than the lack of scoring from Florida. They don't have any experience to draw on in Florida. They've had next to no success. The season has to be considered a failure by just about every, you know, measurable obstacle possible. And you look at at Tampa, 
what did John Cooper say after the game? Guys were willing to block shots with their teeth. Like that's that's a pretty special group. So for Florida, they you know, they didn't have to spend a ton relative to what we thought, but they went and got Claude Giroux. They did play uh, pay, excuse me, a pretty nice premium to bring in Ben Sherratt. Hey, they're playoff winner, proven guy. Uh what where do they go from here? There's a lot of expiring contracts here on this team and I like what what's next for them is the coach even a sure thing to come back like I just wonder how as rough as it feels in other markets where favored teams have lost that's a devastating blow for a team that won the president's trophy it really is and where do they go from here I you know I'd have to imagine that the coach is in question you know partly because he had the interim tag and wasn't necessarily Bill Zito's choice to begin with and partly because, you know, there's been some rumblings for a guy in Andrew Brunette that spent half of his career off the ice in, in a front office role as opposed to a coaching role that he may want to do that instead. That might be his preference. That's, there's been some chatter about that behind the scenes in the last, you know, few weeks, you know, pr- well prior to the loss. Um, you know, they, they did spend a lot. They did load up. You know, that trade for Ben Sherratt was a whopper. He played... 15 minutes a night in the first round, you know, and didn't meet expectations. Claude Giroux, um, you know, at times had big moments, but also at times was invisible. And I think that's sort of been the knock on him going back to his days in Philly. You know, they've got question marks, I think, a little bit in net. Sergei Bobrovsky wasn't the issue, but also, you know, didn't exactly go out of his way to make life easy for the Panthers at times in these playoffs. And they've got cap issues. Like, they need a new contract for Jonathan Huberto. Does his next deal match Sasha Barkov and, and, and that spot? They've got some dead cap money coming onto the books um, the, because the Yandel buyout increases from $2 million right. to five, And they're in a spot where, you know, this was the year to make hay. And, and, they, and frankly, they didn't. They, and, and you mentioned went out with a whimper. I think that was the perfect way to describe it. Interesting decision, too, was uh, Brunette scratching Anthony Duclair for game four. Wow. I mean, he was one of many. Their power play went dormant. It was one for 31 in the postseason. And, but then you, that score, was crazy, huh? then you score zero goals in a must-win game four with Duclair in the press box. I would think there'll be some criticism there. Uh, the, did you, couple, just a couple other notes. Joe Thornton, is, do you think it's his last game? And then secondly, there was reporting, or reporting rumors or gossip that the Panthers were out late the night before in the middle of a back-to-back on the road, although I, I thought they, they collected enough chances to win that game twice over, so not a non-issue for me. But thoughts on either of those? Well, um, when you think about the Panthers, you know, there's nothing better than playing guilty, is there? Um, but in this case, I, I do believe that was accurate, but I think it was missing some context from some Florida reporters or radio guys that may not know a lot about hockey because I was told that it was the Black Aces that were out. So, you know, that's a little bit of a different story when you think about it. Um with regards to Joe Thornton, I, I would have to imagine that's his last game, given the lack of um, playing time that he got. You know, you look at, at the season, 82-game season, he plays 34. A vast majority of those were healthy scratches. You know, goes through the playoffs, and, you know, you, you take a look at it, ends up with one game. That was it, uh, the last game of the playoffs. And so if that is it, man, I, I think we're all just uh, – 
speaking of uh, of peelers, I think we're all just missing out on Joe Thornton having a four goal game to yeah, to really time. celebrate to bring the career full full circle. I think I'm okay. If you know, if that's it for Joe, I'm huh. fine. I think that's probably enough. Uh, the Heat got turned up in the Colorado St. Louis series game three, as Nazem Kadri oh, now again along with the defenseman, but barrels into Jordan Bennington, who had been really good for the had allowed four on 85, had kind of taken over the crease and. Got the Blues back on track. He leaves, will not play in the series. Nazem Kadri is villain public enemy number one, receives death threats and racist shots online and all of that, and then comes back and has a, a hat trick in the Game 4 victory. This it, it, It's heated up. Now, again, this is Colorado in a position to put this thing away, and obviously they, they want to do that one very quickly, but it's been a, uh, a hot and wild couple games here for, for both sides. It has been, and I can't think of a better story these playoffs so far than what Nazem Kadri authored, you know, on on Monday night to to come back from what he went through. And and I I saw some posts on social media, and you, if you haven't, um, I believe the Hockey Diversity Alliance put them out there this morning, just screenshots of some of the messages that he received, and it's it's awful. Like you can't you can't imagine. It's appalling. I think there was a real missed opportunity from Craig Maruby, a, a coach that um, who I know pretty well and, and I believe to be a good guy, you know, trying to stick just to hockey when he had a chance as someone who has used and, and been fined for using racist language in the NHL previously in his career to take a step forward and, and really use his platform to just say enough. You know, this is, it's not every fan in St. Louis that's giving it to Nazem Kadri and, and using racist language, but it, they are St. Louis fans that are doing it. And to have it come from your side, I think, means something and says something. And he didn't do it. He offered a no comment instead. And, and Kadri comes out, scores the hat trick. And, you know, his quote, I think, was just perfect. He said, For those that hate, this is for them. And I, I just, to have a player respond like that, especially with, you know, not just that part of what he's been through, but, you know, you saw the runs, you knew they were coming. You saw the runs that the blues took at him throughout the game. It's a guy that's been suspended multiple times in his career during the playoffs for not being able to toe the line. He's able to stay disciplined. You saw the pat on the back that Jared Bednar gave him just saying, Hey, stay calm, stay ready. And, you know, to, to throw up three, and and really put the Blues on the ropes now, on the brink of elimination, down 3-1 in this series. It's, wow, what a statement. So it's game day. What uh, what does Frank Valley do for the rest of this day? Oh. What do you got going on? I'm heading into the Daily Faceoff Worldwide Headquarters here at Edmonton, <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to uh, do some uh, do tape, tape some videos, some shows, and head over to the morning skates, maybe get a little meal and a nap, and... Off to game four. Wow. That sounds fancy. It does sound fancy. Sounds fancier than my day, frankly. Ah. Yeah. I don't have near that. Frankly, Frank. It's not near that exciting. Have a good one, man. He will, uh, well, we know you're coming back to Calgary. So, you know, at the the very, there's going to be. At least once more. At least once more. Yeah, am I coming back twice? That's the question. Well, we're hoping. We'd be okay with that. Yeah, we'd be all right with that. That'd be a good thing. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you later this week. Enjoy it, guys. You betcha. There's Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider, brought to you by South Trail Exports. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailExports.com. Hour three of the program coming up. Our buddy Adnan Verk will get back into 
Oilers and Flames coming up tonight. Not must win. Kind of feels a little pretty important game. Big game, yeah. Big game tonight coming up. We got it for you. Sportsnet 960, the fan.